Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Since the 1970s, Hollywood has been obsessed with the 24 hours of Le Mans. Steve McQueen starred in Le Mans, filmed during the race festivities in 1970. Racing, it's life. Anything that happened before or after, just waiting. Paul Newman, an actor and philanthropist who had been a class-winning amateur racing champion in his own right, entered in 1979 and placed second. They'll have to strap me down before they keep me out of these things. <laughs> Patrick Dempsey co-owns Dempsey Proton, a team that's raced since 2013 and placed fifth in 2021. My life really started once I started racing. With the car, it's very clear-cut. Hollywood is not clear-cut, it doesn't make any sense. And of course, who could forget the Oscar-winning Ford vs. Ferrari, a film about the 1966 rivalry between Ford and Ferrari on the track at Le Mans. We're gonna build the fastest automobile in the world, and we're gonna make history too, at Le Mans. There's a fundamental reason for Hollywood's interest. Le Mans has an uncanny ability to craft a screen-worthy story, one filled with heroes and underdogs, courageous men and women battling against the track, their opponent, and themselves for a taste of glory. As the flagship race of the FAA's World Endurance Championship, the 24 Hours of Le Mans is one of the oldest and most prestigious motor races. Originally developed as a testing ground for technological developments, the race draws drivers and teams from around the world, desperate to test their mettle on a truly iconic course, set within a winding French hamlet in northwest France. The history of the race is filled with innovation, mental fortitude, unbelievable stories, and catastrophe. 
To understand Le Mans is to understand what makes motorsports so thrilling for drivers, spectators, and Hollywood executives alike. What makes Le Mans so special? Why is it often referred to as the most thrilling 24 hours in motorsports? Well, today on Pass Gas, how Le Mans became the most exciting 24 hours in sports. Boom. There's an intro for you, fellas. There's an intro for you, fellas. Eat it up like a bunch of soup. It's slurp season, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Where's all my chowder heads at? Uh, yeah, so we're talking about endurance racing today. More specifically, Le Mans, as you probably know. Fellas, the Daytona 24 hours was a few, like, two weeks ago. What's your take on on endurance racing? Do you guys have you guys ever watched it? When's the last time you've watched all of the twenty four hours of Le Mans? Have you ever done it? I'll tell you what. I had a Daytona twenty four hours on spring break, and it was nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I cr- I cr- pooped my pants. No, I love Le Mans. Is one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite race. I think it's awesome. I want to do a live stream where we watch 24 hours of Le Mans. And it's definitely a thing that I want to experience in person at some point in my life. Oh, for sure. Hopefully sooner than later. Le Mans hit me up. Porsche hit me up. Patrick Dempsey hit me up. Yeah. Come on, man. I like endurance races. I can't say I've ever watched like a huge chunk of them. I just watch highlights. But I loved one of my favorite memories of being a kid was playing the endurance races on Gran Turismo. And just staying up for 12 hours without pausing it at all. That's pretty crazy. We should do a live stream of uh, the race this year. It's fun. Like when there's a 24-hour race, your whole weekend becomes the event, right? So like I when I was watching the Daytona 24, I just had the TV on in the background. I wasn't watching it the whole time, but I would, would check in, mm-hmm. uh, see where my, my teams that I was rooting for were at. And it's just amazing how it works out. Like, you know, 24 hours, that seems like such a long time. You think the fields would become so spread out, but... Almost in every class, all the battles came down to the last lap with just Whoa. like tenths of seconds between the cars. It's just incredible. So it's, 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 it's magical. And Le Mans is the most magical of them all, as we'll find out. Before we really kick things off, let's be clear. The history of Le Mans is fascinating. With so many incredible stories, we could easily do a 10-part series on it. But instead, we're going to distill its massive history down into little bite-sized morsels perfect for casual digestion. And for the hors d'oeuvre, so to speak, let's get an overview of the legendary event beginning with the town it's located in. The 24 Hours of Le Mans is aptly named after the tiny French town the track is located in. And when we say tiny, we mean that only about 150,000 people live there year-round, roughly the size of Dayton, Ohio. Shouts to Dayton. Go Bulldogs. Shouts to Dayton. Go Bulldogs. <laughs> the storybook Beautiful Le Mans is made up both of the old town and more metropolitan new city. The old town is contained by Gallo-Roman walls that were crafted in the late 3rd century. And the new town is, at least to our American standards, not that new. Just real quick, to put that into perspective, we're now in the 21st century. Yeah, that's a lot of centuries ago. Hundreds of years. Hundreds. If not thousands? 1.7 thousand. Wow. Damn. 
Wow. 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 That much, huh? Wow. Makes you think, wow. Yeah, it really makes you think, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The new town, on the other hand, is, at least to our American standards, not that new. Its Romanesque and Gothic buildings were first built in the 12th century. Wow. Until the mid-19th century, Le Mans was best known as a market for agricultural products of the region. But all that changed when the town began producing their very own motor cars. And we don't need to tell you that where there's motor cars, gentlemen. There's racing. That's right. There's racing. It's hard not to wax poetic about the circuit de South, the road racing circuit just outside Le Mans that the race has taken place on since its inception in 1923. The Circuit de Sartre is named after the river that passes through town and consists of a mix of private roads used exclusively for racing, as well as public ones. To many, the use of public roads is the secret sauce that makes Le Mans so special. At roughly 13.626 kilometers, or 8.47 miles long, the track is so large that it can be sunny at one end and pouring rain on the other. At night, Some turns that are dangerous in the daylight turn into a death trap at night, as courageous drivers depend on a combination of skill and luck to get through it alive. The SART is one of the last remnants of old-school racing, with a design that actively promotes overtaking, which is exciting as hell to spectators. Though it's been modified over the years to maximize safety for competitors, the circuit has remained largely the same, designed for peak speed and spectacular dueling. The track itself is made up of several sections. The race begins at the Indianapolis, named for the famous American brickyard at the Indy Motor Speedway, named so for the bricks underneath the tarmac of this section of the circuit. From there, a driver moves on to Arnage, then to the Porsche Curves, before reaching Four Chicanes, a segment added in 1968 for pit safety reasons. From there, the Dunlop Bridge arches over the track as the Chicanes move into the Tote Rouge, French for the Red Mound. The Rouge then becomes the, oh my God, what it, whoa. Hunadiers. Hunadiers. It's Hunadiers. Hunadiers. I always think of the SpongeBob interstitial a few moments later. A few moments later. Who knows the air? I appreciate you guys trying to help me out, though. Thank I you. I appreciate you trying. Thanks. Bro. A for effort. So on the Hunadieras straightaway, uh, this is a spot where Wilbur Wright actually conducted some of the first tests of the first airplane. Surprisingly enough. Shouts to Wilbur. Yeah. A friend of the show. It's this is also this place is also known as the Molson Strait which I can definitely say, as it leads directly to Mulsanne Corner. It's down this straightaway where speed records are often smashed as drivers push their engines to their max speed limit. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, over 200 miles an hour, no problem. Although now they have those chicanes. They've got like two chicanes on the straight because people were going too fast. Too fast, too furious. That's what I always say. Too fast for y'all, man. I live my life one red mound at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike other types of racing, there are four separate classes of cars that race at Le Mans. There's Le Mans Prototype 1 or Hypercar, LMP1. That's the big boys. That's the the biggest boys in the world. They're actually pretty small. 
the cars. <laughs> I meant big figuratively. On film, they look huge, and then you see them in person. They do. Tiny. They look really big on camera for some reason, but then you go and... I wish they were big. Yeah, because then like they'd me. be big boys. Then they'd be, well, they are, figuratively, I'm saying them's the big boys. Them's the Michael Jordan. Yeah, those are the, the, I mean, it's the top class. It's the fastest class. Top class. Dream yeah. team. Fastest and then class. there's uh, Dream team. Le Mans Prototype 2 or LMP2. Um, these are usually, these are usually like LMP1 cars, but without the hybrid drivetrain. So they just have the engine. They're not as fast. Then there's the GT class. We'll just say GT Endurance class, GT Endurance Pro class, and then the GT Endurance Amateur class. Those are sports cars. Basically, you've got the prototypes, which are the top class. They're closed cockpit racing cars without homologated production minimums. And then you got the GT cars, production-based and factory-backed entries. Those are the ones that look like real cars. The LMP1 are the top class and feature both hybrid and non-hybrid engines thanks to new hypercar regulations. These cars used to be heavy on design since they were prototypes, but regulations now allow for more of a road-going appearance in efforts to reduce costs and encourage participation from more car manufacturers. You might have seen the news of Peugeot's hypercar entry without a rear wing. It looks super sick. We'll see if that actually works this year. Going to be dope. Uh, and then you've got LMP2. Like I said, they're like the LMP1 cars, but they all use a 4.2 liter V8 built by Gibson, not the guitar company. The GT classes are factory-ready cars, Separated primarily by who drives them, the LMGTE Pros and the LMGTE Amateurs. The Pro models are driven by top drivers, whereas the Amateurs belong to pro-amateur combinations of drivers, and these teams usually receive less factory support. There are a lot of privateer teams funded by mid-sized businesses driven by dentists. To make things even more complicated, there's also a driver rating system, which ranks drivers in levels of experience, from bronze all the way to platinum. Bronze drivers are amateurs. Silver drivers are more experienced, but probably don't race for a living. And gold are professionals. The platinum drivers are, as you guessed, the cream of the crop, the best of the best. Even though drivers are only allowed to participate in their clear divisions, some classes require a mix of differently rated drivers to share one car, mainly to encourage the bronze and silver racers to show up. Why does that matter? Because these are the gentlemen drivers, as I mentioned, or people who contribute some out-of-pocket money for the cost of fielding the car. If you have the money and a moderate amount of talent, it's not all that hard to buy yourself a seat in the 24 hours of Le Mans. At Le Mans, if you've got the cash, you've got the chance to crash. I'm saving up right now to get in the next one. Oh, hell yeah. I know. I stopped eating uh, chips this week. Got to save that chip money. Dude, that's like 30 grand a year. Yeah. <laughs> eat a lot of chips. That said, safety regulations have been a crucial element of the race since a horrific accident in 1955. More on that later. But first, let's find out how the world's most famous endurance race came to be. James, take it away. The first Le Mans was put on by the Automobile Club de Ouest, the ACO, a motoring organization, from May 26th to 27th in 1923. The circuit was originally 10.7 miles and designed to boost and promote technical innovation and to encourage the development of the automotive industry. In the early 20s, Grand Prix motor racing was the most popular motorsport, and Le Mans sought to break that mold by introducing the challenge of an endurance race. This would require companies to build cars that are agile, 
reliable, and perhaps most importantly, can endure putting the pedal to the metal for 24 hours straight. Sounds like us in Ibiza, huh, boys? <laughs> <laughs> the first Le Mans was made up of 66 drivers in 33 cars and featured teams from France, the UK, and Italy. The first winners of Le Mans were Frenchmen Andre Lagache and Rene Leonard, who traveled a total of 1,300 miles in their three-liter Chenard and Walker vehicle. Though each year of Le Mans offers notable and exciting stories, the 1935 race was groundbreaking and featured 10 female drivers out of 116 total, which even nearly 100 years later is still a notable number. The first year a female team entered the race was in 1930 when Marguerite Maru and Odette Seco piloted a Bugatti Type 40 and came in seventh place. It was official. Le Mans was a hit and as a result was held annually until 1936 when, in typical French fashion, a general strike led to its cancellation. World War II caused an even longer interruption to the race as Le Mans would not be run for a full decade from 1939 until 1949. During World War II, Britain's Air Force and then the Luftwaffe, those are the Nazis, used the airfield by the pits of the Circuit de Sarth. The five-kilometer <laughs> strait became a temporary airstrip. While this only adds to the interesting story of Le Mans, it also made the circuit a target for bombing, which is why the race didn't start up again until four years after the war ended. Damn. After the 10-year hiatus of the race, Le Mans came back bigger and better and more French than ever. More companies wanted to join the fun, and the race reached 100 entries for the first time, although the ACO later trimmed that to half. It was also 1949 that Ferrari clinched their first win over their biggest competitor, Alfa Romeo. So the new chapter of the race was off to a great start. If you want to hear more about that rivalry, check out the first episode of Past Gas. Things got even brighter when the World Sports Car Championship Circuit, a series of races and endurance events, was formed in 1953. As a result of the competition reaching new heights, major brands like Mercedes-Benz, Ferrari, Aston Martin, and Jaguar <laughs> sent multiple cars to race determined to prove who was the best. Le Mans was no longer a humble trial ground. It was now a major sporting event with major corporate stakes. Ooh. Likely due to this new high-tension, high-stakes attitude surrounding Le Mans, there were more accidents, including the worst in motorsport history, which brings us to the Le Mans disaster of 1955. Arguably the worst tragedy in motorsports history took place at the June 11th, 1955 running of Le Mans. Though there were some solid competitors that year, most fans were excited to see who would win between Ferrari, Jaguar, and Mercedes-Benz. All three automakers had won the race previously, with Ferrari as the 54 champ, and had arrived with new and improved cars. The Ferraris were especially fast, but somewhat flimsy and prone to mechanical failure. Jaguar had concentrated their racing on Le Mans, and their Jaguar D-Type boasted a straight-six XK engine and state-of-the-art disc brakes. Mercedes-Benz were riding high from their successes in Formula One, and decided to debut their new 300 SLR in the 1955 World Sports Car Championship. The 300 SLR featured a body made of ultra-lightweight magnesium alloy. It had inboard drum brakes and a large air brake behind the driver that could be raised to increase drag and thus downforce. 
I think this Jaguar, this was the first time that disc brakes has, had ever been used in competition. That's right, Joe. I think there's a wheelhouse we talk about it, but that's pretty cool. As mentioned earlier, the Cirque de Sartre was designed in the 20s when cars could only reach speeds of 60 miles per hour. But by 1955, the fastest cars were hitting speeds of over 170. Oh, my God. Yeah. I know. <laughs> And they just invented disc brakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Since its opening, the circuit had been resurfaced and widened with two layout changes that made it a bit shorter. The pits and grandstands had been reconstructed, but there were no barriers between the pit lane and the racing line, with only a four-foot bank between the track and spectators. There's also no designated deceleration lane for cars entering the pits. On top of that, the cars often had no seatbelts, since drivers believed it would be better to get thrown clear in a collision rather than being crushed in a burning car. <laughs> so funny. Uh, also, back then, they had the Le Mans start, so like all the guys would uh, line up out of their cars and then run to their car and start it and get out of there. So you don't want to waste all your time buckling all kinds of safety devices. Yeah. There's one guy that's just like trying to tune the radio before he starts. <laughs> oh, come on. So why won't my Bluetooth connect? <laughs> Where's my songs to listen to while vaping playlist? Where are my sunglasses? <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
Before the race, Mercedes-Benz driver Pierre Levey voiced his concern that the pit stop and grandstand area was dangerously narrow. Tragically, his concerns went unheard. Just 35 laps into the 1955 Le Mans, the worst crash in motorsports history occurred. As he reached the pit stop section next to the grandstand, Jaguar driver Mike Hawthorne pulled right onto the track in front of Austin Healey driver Lance Macklin. Macklin swerved directly into the path of LeVay, who was trying to pass both the Jaguar and Austin Healey. LeVay rear-ended Macklin's Austin Healey, which launched his Mercedes SLR into the air and into the stands. The Mercedes exploded, instantly killing LeVay, as well as 83 spectators, and injuring nearly 180 more. And though there is much debate over who was to blame for the disaster, the official inquiry determined that the layout of the track was ultimately responsible. The 30-year-old track was simply not designed for cars as fast as those involved in the incident. Despite this ruling, Mercedes-Benz called back the rest of their team after the accident and retired from motor racing until 1987. The accident was a monumental turning point for safety in motorsport, and many new rules and regulations were added in the aftermath. That's so many people. The period of 1966 to 1980 is likely a recognizable era to car nerds. This was the golden era of racing. The 15 years saw quite a bit of change on the Cirque de Mans, particularly when European dominance turned in 1966, when Ford kicked the Italian Goliath out of the top spot with their unforgettable GT40. Not only was this the year that an American company won the European endurance race, but Ford managed to secure the entire podium, meaning the six-time reigning champion was shut out completely. Of course, I'm talking about Ferrari. The victory was at least partially fueled by spite after Enzo Ferrari publicly humiliated Henry Ford II by pulling out of a 1963 deal, although Hank the Deuce was a piece of shit and uh, he changed the terms at the last minute. And uh, Enzo obviously backed out of the deal. You're allowed to back out of the deal. Yeah. When Ferrari pulled out of Le Mans completely in 1973, many believed it was due to Ford's dominance, which continued for four years after the 1966 defeat. If you want more details on this feud, like we said, we did a four-part series on it early on in the podcast. I remember it as pretty good, but <laughs> it might not be. No, it's I, I listened to it again, and it's really funny. It's missing one little key element, though. <laughs> wink, yeah, there's no Wink Wink Nation in there. <laughs> As the dynamics of the race evolved, the cars became faster and more powerful, often to the dismay of safety-conscious officials. The Porsche 917, the car that Steve McQueen drove in Le Mans, uh, the movie, was born out of one of the regulations put in place to reduce speeds in the race. Starting in 1968, Porsche decided to design and build 25 different versions of a whole new car with a 4.5 liter capacity for the sport category. They had one goal in mind, to win their first overall victory at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1970. It took only 10 months to put together the Porsche 917, and by 1970, Porsche defeated five-time winner Ford and won the legendary endurance race. Thanks to the Porsche 917, the company was able to win four times total throughout the 1970s. I love this car. 
This victory aligned with another rule change born from safety regulations. Up until 1970, Lamal was known for the standing start. That's what we uh, we mentioned earlier. The drivers would line up on the left side of the track, one behind the other, opposite their cars. And when the <laughs> French flag was lowered, they would run, sprint as fast as they could to their cars, start their engines, and then go. You add like the element of like how fast can you run a fifty? <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is not connected to your driving skill at all. <laughs> yeah, at all. And you get in, you're just like winded. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a fun way of kicking off the race. It wasn't exactly uh, the safest way to start 24 hours of driving. Nah. The rule change wasn't an overnight process, however. In 1968, Belgian Willy Marais says Ford GT40s. <laughs> Door flew open on the first Malson straight as he tried to close it after a standing start. Willie crashed and suffered from severe head injuries that left him unconscious for two weeks. What? Oh my God. As a result of his injuries, the former Formula One driver was told he would never race again. And one year later, in 1969, he died by suicide. No. No, man, that's really sad. During the 1969 start, three months before, uh, he passed. Fellow Belgian Jackie X famously staged the one-man protest on the standing start when he casually walked over to his car, took his time putting on his belts, and began the race in last place. What makes that very cool is he won. Oh. Uh, meanwhile, another driver, John Wolf, ran with the other drivers and flipped his car during the opening lap. And because he wasn't strapped in properly, he was killed. So It kind of proved that X's point. Like, what's the point of it? If, if it doesn't, if he's going to come in first, this dude runs over to his car and dies, whatever. Yeah. And the next year, uh, 1970, they changed the rule. But like, what a dumb idea. Well, I mean, it's just a holdover from when they first started it, you know, and ran over to your car. And, you know, back then, I, I don't, I assume the cars didn't fire up immediately like they did at this point. Mm -hmm. So... Right, yeah. It's like a holdover from when it was like a lot less serious. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was like, okay, like we have to like gamify this a little bit because nobody's going to want to watch a car drive for 20. I mean, we yeah, gotta, yeah. We, it's like if they had the NASCAR drivers at the Coliseum last weekend, like ride BMX bikes down the <laughs> stairs and like have to do a trick <laughs> yeah. before getting into their car. It's like depending on how they qualified, they get, they have to start. At a different neighborhood in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they have to drive to the Coliseum and then find parking. Yeah. <laughs> and then go and start. Oh, man. That's kind of present in a lot of different sports, especially the older ones, where it's just been going on for so long that no one ever questions it. And then something tragic happens and it's like, oh, we have to <laughs> revisit this dumb thing. No one gets like killed in baseball but there's a bunch of stuff left over from like 1870 where they've never changed it there's that rule in baseball it's it's hardly ever has to be enforced but if you get like three errors in a row you have to smoke eight cigarettes <laughs> yeah yeah that's like a holdover from like the the like the hank aaron days yeah mm -hmm. and everyone sure. in the audience wags their finger at you at the yeah, same time smoke it get it you dropped it no no smoke it get it you dropped it no no it rarely ever happens because guys are so good now they rarely get like they hear but sometime it happened in 2016 
Yeah. And it was actually seen as a reward uh, <laughs> back then because it's like, oh, this guy's obviously yeah. off his game. He we need to give break. him half a pack. Yeah, cigarette. Yeah. Give him eight cigarettes. Yeah. He's playing three games today. It'll make yeah. him better. Yeah. He's playing three games today. He's not even drunk yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to go back to the Dodger game this year. There, you know, there's a lot of them. I know. There's that's there's that's not, another there's thing. There's not just the Dodger game. There's 162 Dodger games this year. <laughs> Holy crap! That's why fantasy baseball is like. I just feel like my idea of hell. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> In the 1980s, perhaps inspired by the 1979 energy crisis. A new class called Group C was introduced, placing emphasis on fuel efficiency. This period marked a return to the race's original purpose as a showcase of innovation and forward-thinking design. Car companies began to lean away from the gas-guzzling, heavy-duty race car bodies towards slimmer, more lightweight designs. This trend is highlighted by the fact that Porsche won 8 out of 10 races through the 80s, and at one point, 6 in a row. One of the most interesting wins occurred in 1980 when a private builder named Jean Rondeau won in a car he crafted himself called the Rondeau M379B. This baby was a prototype born from an Inartella LM with a Ford Cosworth DFE engine and it was the first time that a driver won with a car that bore his name. That DFE engine was was like killer in that era. Yeah. Progress from the 80s until the 2000s was achieved Beyond the car builds, Mercedes-Benz returned to the grid, the company's first run at Le Mans since the 1955 crash. In 1991, Mazda became the first Japanese manufacturer to win with their 787B. Ooh, I love that one. Yeah, one of the best-sounding cars ever. However, one of the biggest moments in the Le Mans record books occurred in 1988, when W.M. Peugeot set a speed record that many believe will stand the test of time. Gerard Welter... Peugeot's head of design and team boss of WM was a man well-versed in endurance circuits. From 1976 until 1989, the WM GTP and Group C prototypes raced at Le Mans were built with the goal to hit the highest possible speed down the Molson Strait, before the circuit was interrupted by chicanes. While many thought that the speed was second to durability at Le Mans, Welter disagreed. Before the 1988 race, Welter announced Project 400 and claimed that his WM Peugeot P88 would be the first car to hit 400 kilometers an hour at Le Mans. To be clear, he didn't care about winning the race. He just wanted to use the prestige of the event to draw attention to his car. Driven by a turbocharged Peugeot engine, the P88 certainly had the power to reach 400 kilometers per hour, but his cars had an unhappy tendency to break down under pressure. In a race known for durability, the WM Peugeot P88 reached a whopping 407 kilometers an hour, or 253 miles per hour, down the Molson Strait, just before issues with the car's turbocharger, cooling, and electrical killed the car just 59 miles into the more than 3,000-mile race. But hey, Welter got exactly what he wanted. His P88 became the first car to break the 400-kilometer barrier at Le Mans, and in 1990, when the chicanes were added to slow speeds on the straight, this record was forever cemented in Le Mans history. You don't really need your, like, turbocharger, your cooling system, and electrical system anyways. 
I feel like he could have finished it if he wanted to. Dude, this thing just looks fast. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, that thing is sick. Dude, that thing's sick. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I wish you guys could see this right now. I'm looking at it. Podcast viewers, this car is sick. <laughs> it looks like a plane without wings. It looks like, um, what's that really fast bird that dives? A peregrine falcon? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, you guys. Google this bird. This bird Google is sick. Bird. I think every week we should have a segment called Google a bird. <laughs> <laughs> Where we all Google a bird together. Look at it. Here, I got I got this week's one. Uh, secretary bird. Google that bird. All right. It's time for Google a bird. We do it right in the middle of the story. We don't wait till the end. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this secretary bird looks like a secretary. <laughs> With like secretary pants and... Yeah, it's got secretary pants, got secretary hair. Mm-hmm. One of the top images is like to an article titled Secretary Bird, World's Sexiest Bird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Who wrote this? Secretary Bird, world's sexiest bird from Africa, is killer, but not just by its looks. What? <laughs> what the, the hell is going this? on? All right, back to cars. Lamar lost a bit of popularity in the 1990s with a number of auto manufacturers withdrawing. Most likely, this was due to high production costs, but we'd like to believe it's because so many GT1 and LMP cars kept backflipping. You heard that right. If you watched the 1999 Le Mans, you definitely remember Mercedes driver Peter Dumbrick's insane crash on the way to Indianapolis corner where his CLR took flight, flipped over in the air multiple times, and landed in the woods. The weirdest part? It happened to his teammate, Mark Weber, at the same spot during qualifying. This is like the most insane. You've definitely seen this gif. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy. These weren't the first cars to fully backflip at Le Mans. The year before at Petit Le Mans, the Porsche 911 GT1 crested a hill, became airborne, and backflipped before it landed on its rear. So how could this happen? Well, it has to do with the negative pitch angle of the top-level sports racing cars of the era. In order to generate enough downforce and thus increase cornering speeds, the front of the car is set to sit lower than the rear. The issue is that when a car like the 911 GT1 or the CLR crests the hill, the pitch angle switches to be positive, creating a lifting force underneath the car. In other words, once the front comes up uh, and reached 2.4 degrees, the downforce of the rear was gone, a bunch of air went under there, and basically it's like an airplane wing. Flip that boy around. Flip yeah. that boy around. How crazy would it be to backflip a car like that what does that feel dude you know like when you go like over a hill and it like dips yeah and you your belly that, like, feels weird tickle yeah i bet it's like that to the extreme oh yeah it's like the same feeling when you see a secretary bird <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> like <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> what we'll be right back with more of this story but first a word from our sponsors 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From 2000 until 2010, Audi absolutely dominated the circuit and won eight out of 10 races. There's a couple of really good documentaries on this team. And then in 2011, Audi won again, thanks to the first female race engineer to win the 24-hour race, Lena Gade. Gade hailed from the UK, the daughter of Indian immigrants. From the age of nine, she became fascinated with engineering and around 12 became absolutely obsessed with Formula One racing. And to quote her, what the machines could do. She studied engineering at the university in Manchester and graduated with a Master of Science degree in aerospace engineering in 1988. The only female student to graduate in the class of 100. Gade went to work for Jaguar for six and a half years while she worked part-time on racing teams in the Formula BMW, A1 Grand Prix, and GT racing classes. By 2007, she was working for Audi Sport Team Jost. Uh, and in 2011, her Audi R18 TDI, driven by Andre Lauderer, Benoit Trellier, and Marcel Fassler, won Le Mans. Like I said, the, there's a, a documentary on this year, uh, this race that follows the Audi team. And I've, re- I've honestly watched it like five times. Oh, I want to check it out. It's so good. I forget what it's called. So good luck. I think it's on YouTube. <laughs> is this the one? Yeah, Audi like made it themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen this. Tommy says it's called Truth in 24. Yes, that's it. Finally, we Google know it. what it's called. Google it. Google a bird. Yeah. Google that bird. Audi repeated their win in 2012, and later that year, Gade was named the FIA World Endurance Championship Man of the Year. They kept the name. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't see why we'd change it. We've been doing it for so long. It's going to be a man next year. Why would we change the name? (laughs) Oh, no, if we change it, what are we going to change it to? Woman of the year? Person of the year? No, we'll change it right back next year. Be a big old waste of ink, won't it? (laughs) We already made the trophy. It'll be a waste of ink. Big old waste of ink, isn't it? We're going to make trophy look like a bird. <laughs> but what, you want us to make the trophy look like a secretary bird next? That's what I was thinking, yeah. With pants like a secretary. And big old boobs. <laughs> <laughs> He's got big old boobs on the bird. The bird answers the phone. He says, hello, welcome to the company. How can I direct you a call? Would you like to talk to the bosses? <laughs> oh, he's not available. Squawk, squawk. They do look like they're wearing pants. So that's for no, sure. <laughs> so no, we ain't going to change the name. She's the man of the year, just like everyone else. Now I'm going to go and eat some beans on a piece of bread and you're not going to think it's weird. It's for Brecky. 
for breakfast. In a true sign of the times, many of the cars in the early 2000s have been shifting to more electrified drivetrains. It seems like Le Mans has returned to its roots as a race to promote technical innovation. And if you think these electric cars can't drive as well as the old gas guzzlers, well, you'd be wrong, okay? Sure, they're hybrids, but you're still wrong. Porsche won in 2015-17, and in 2017 with its Porsche 919 Hybrid, a car built with a 2-liter 90-degree V4 mid-mounted mono <laughs> single-turbocharged petrol engine that produces 500 horsepower and acts as a chassis load-bearing member. What? Along, yeah, along with two separate energy recovery hybrid systems that act to recover thermal energy from the exhaust gases and convert kinetic energy into electrical energy under braking. It's very, very sick. And as of 2018, Toyota has also entered Le Mans with increasing success. There's also a group called Mission H24 with a goal of introducing a hydrogen electric class in 2024. We'll see how that pans out because it's, uh, it's 2022 right now. <laughs> <laughs> so is Le Mans really the world's best 24-hour race? Well, that depends. If you're someone who likes watching the world's best drivers and engineers and teams race on one of the oldest, smoothest, most dangerous, and exciting tracks in the world, <laughs> then yeah, Le Mans is the king. In addition to being just a plain old great sporting event, the innovations featured at Le Mans typically trickle down to our road cars. So watching the race is kind of like looking into a crystal ball of what kind of tech us normies will be able to drive one day. 250,000 spectators show up in person to party and watch the event. And in 2020, an estimated 14 million people tuned in to watch the 24 hours of Le Mans virtual race since the actual race was rescheduled for September. That's a lot of people watching a stream of a virtual race. That's a ton of people watching a freaking Video game. Yeah, that's a lot. Dude, we got to go to this thing. I want to go so bad. Let's book a flight, baby. You have to work on your French before we go over there. We oui, we. Oui. Okay, that's good. That's good enough. If anyone asks you to speak French, just say, Mel-toi de tes oignons, which means like mind your own business. And then you <laughs> can just like you put it off for a little bit longer. Just coast on that yeah. the whole trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That guy only is only telling people to mind their own business. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to the show. We're going to get to some listener mail right now. James, could you, could you read this? Hi, Nolan, James, and Joe. My name is Gavin. Oh, that's our uh, producer, Gavin, wrote us a little fan letter. Gavin, just slack us, man. Yeah, you, just, you know our phone numbers, you dork. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Gavin, and I'm writing from... Oregon. I've been listening and watching since Jeremiah's indestructible Tacoma video and learned so much from your videos. I just finished listening to the car gimmicks episode and was reminded of some of the features in the 1931 Pontiac Model 401-5-6 that me and my friend Brady own. Uh, It was used as a moonshine runner during the Prohibition era. Some of the features include roll-up blinds, a dome light, and handles that lock the doors from the inside by turning them up. I found this out when messing with the door after I thought the outside handle was broken. Thank you, and keep making my Monday homework sessions fun. Gavin. 
Thanks, keep doing Gavin. that homework, Gavin. Keep, keep doing uh, the homework, Gavin. All the homework books. should be illegal. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for writing you spend us. Eight if you, hours a day in school, they can't figure it out. Then you go home. You yeah. have to do more schooling. Our education system is deeply broke. Is deeply broken, and uh, I would argue purposely so by devious actors who want to make it more broken so that people are less okay. educated. Okay. So if you'd like to write in to the show, hit us up at pastgas at donutmedia.com. Thank you very much. I love reading your mail on the air here. We're going to take you back on the drive. This is uh, <laughs> 95.5 The Drive. <laughs> um, <laughs> follow my co-hosts at James Pumphrey, at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at Nolan Sykes. Those are all the same names across all social media platforms. Well, me and James are going uh, by Penis and the Skunk now. Welcome <laughs> back to Penis and the Skunk. Oh, God. Ah, you. <laughs> pop, pop. That's a big old pile of hot piss. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you were just ready for that. <laughs> yeah, I was just proving. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good place to end. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>